What's happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. Will former President Trump have to go to trial with his co-defendants in late October? Find out what a judge ruled in the Georgia election case. Former President Trump will be on the primary ballot in New Hampshire. The state's Secretary of State says the 14th Amendment does not apply. Vaccine pioneer Robert Malone is questioning the FDA for its approval of new COVID-19 boosters and highlighting an unusual vaccine phenomenon. Researching COVID-19 is not allowed. New social media platform Threads prohibits searches related to the virus, deeming it sensitive content. Lawmakers are planning trips to China, one a bipartisan group of senators, another by California Governor Gavin Newsom. The two groups seem to have differing reasons. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, a new development in the Georgia RICO case against former President Trump and 18 others. A judge rules that not all defendants need to be tried together. The Fulton County judge allowed Kenneth Cheeseborough and Sidney Powell to have different trial dates from the others and said that more defendants could follow. Cheeseboro and Powell are the only defendants to request a speedy trial, which is set to begin on October 23rd. Now the other defendants, including Trump, don't have to be tried as early with them. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis sought to try all defendants together. She argued that breaking the case into multiple trials would strain the local judicial system, but Judge Scott McAfee today said that not breaking the defendants into separate trials would strain the system. He said the Fulton County Courthouse doesn't have a courthouse courtroom large enough to hold 19 defendants. There are multiple attorneys and support staff, the sheriff's deputies, court personnel, and the state's prosecutorial team. He also said relocating the trial to a larger venue raises security concerns. A movement to keep former President Trump off primary ballots appears to have no legs in New Hampshire. Some groups in other states have filed lawsuits claiming the 14th Amendment forbids insurrectionists from holding federal office. New Hampshire Secretary of State David Scanlon weighed in on the issue Wednesday. His position is, so long as a candidate meets the qualifications laid out in Article 2 of the Constitution, they can run. That is to say, a candidate must be 35 years old a natural-born citizen and have resided in the U.S. for the past 14 years. Scanlon says any possible 14th Amendment issue would come up later in the election process. The 14th Amendment, if you look at the language, is it's a prohibition against holding the office. It says nothing about the election process. And, and so even if it applied to the election process, it would be more appropriate on a general election ballot uh, where the nominees are across the board in every state in the country. Scalen added that any legal decision to keep a candidate off the primary ballot in New Hampshire would have to come from the Supreme Court. Hunter Biden's attorneys filed a lawsuit against a former Trump White House aide yesterday. That's over his alleged role in spreading embarrassing emails and images from Hunter Biden's devices online. The lawsuit accuses Garrett Ziegler of illegal hacking in violation of federal computer privacy laws and demands a jury trial. The complaint was filed in a California federal court. It also seeks an injunction to prevent Ziegler from continuing to access or tamper with Hunter Biden's data. 
Earlier this year, Hunter Biden's team asked the Justice Department to open a criminal probe into Ziegler and others who distributed the contents of his laptop. Ziegler told Politico the lawsuit is not worth the paper it's written on and said it's not lost on him that it was filed a day after an impeachment inquiry into the president was announced. Representative Nancy Pelosi is endorsing President Biden's re-election bid as others raise concerns about his age and health. Here's the former House Speaker in an exclusive interview with CNN. Look, even among very loyal Democrats, there's a lot of concerns about, about the president. Is he the best candidate to defeat Donald Trump, the best candidate to defeat any of the Republicans who are, are running right now? I think so. Uh, pre uh, yes. Uh, president, uh, president Biden has, um, he has great experience and wisdom. He's been at this for a long time, as you know, as a senator, vice president, and now president. While there may be some concerns, everybody's for him. They overwhelmingly, everybody's for him. Ask whether she thinks there is a chance the president would withdraw from the race. Pelosi said, I hope not. Cooper then asks Pelosi if she thinks Harris is the best running mate for Biden. Here's her answer. Is Vice President Kamala Harris the best running mate for this president? He thinks so, and that's what matters. Do you think she is the, the best running mate, though? She's the vice president of the United States. So when people say to me, well, why isn't she doing this or that? I said, because she's the vice president. That's the job description. It's a tight race for president. The two most high-profile political candidates are neck and neck, according to a new poll. The director of the presidential roller coaster 2024 weighs in on the divided nation. Roger Simon, thank you for joining us. Pleased to be here. Roger, former President Trump is trailing President Biden by 1%, according to a new Quinnipiac poll. They're at 46 and 47% respectively. They seem to be going back and forth like this here. Yeah, they're going back and forth. But you know what it is? I think that the, the people are already, I, I have to say this since I'm doing it, it is against myself, are getting bored with this whole thing. I mean, there's a level of, of tedium. Uh, also, you know, if you look at these polls like the Quinnipiac poll, I'm forced to look at all these things. They have not changed ever, virtually, since, you know, uh, the, the Paleolithic age. And, and you wonder why these other candidates are even running uh, against Trump, because they're trailing him so huge that they never change. Why do you think the country is so evenly divided over this, over these two candidates? Oh, well, <laughs> the, the country has been evenly divided for some time. It's not a new thing at all. And, you know, the mainstream media has completely brainwashed the Democratic Party into a kind of a monomaniacal party that's, that they don't right now they don't have any interest in in Robert Kennedy Jr. despite the fact that he has new things and interesting things to say they don't want to hear about it. I mean it's really it's a very sad situation for America. You got to be honest. Now Senator Mitt Romney announced that he's not running for Senate re-election. Uh, what do you think is driving his decision? Well, I, I think it's pretty obvious he was going to lose. I think this is uh, the Republican side uh, in Utah are not Romneyite anymore. And he knew he could read the handwriting on the wall as much as anybody. Why would he want to run and lose?
What's changing there in Utah? I don't think it's changing so much as recognition. I mean, the Republican Party is Trump's party right now. We can see that in all the polls. Uh, you know, Romney opposes Trump. That's the end. I mean, I don't think it's very complicated. It's too, in fact, it's, 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 obvious, it's too obvious is what it is. Now, I want to get your reaction to this. Russian President Vladimir Putin says the Trump indictments are good for Russia because they show the, quote, rottenness of the American system. And he also says the he also calls them the persecution of a political rival for political reasons. What's your take? My take is that it, it takes one to know one. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's very I mean, that's Putin to a T in what he does. But of course, he's right about what's going on here. It's not, it, it, you know, when you start to look at this thing from, a, from a, you know, the Empire State Building down or looking at your image at the moment, uh, you realize that the differences between Russia and the USA are not as great as they used to be. It's pretty sad, but that's the truth. I mean, Putin is recognizing that. And, and chiding us for it. That doesn't make him better. <laughs> it just, uh, it, but it makes him accurate in this case. All right, Roger Simon, director of the roller coaster, Presidential Roller Coaster 2024. Thank you. Thank you. The FDA's decision to recommend the latest batch of COVID-19 boosters is causing controversy. mRNA vaccine pioneer Dr. Robert Malone has accused the agency of going rogue in a conversation with Joshua Phillip on Epic TV's Crossroads. And TD's Daniel Monahan has more on the doctor's comments. The issue is the limited clinical trial data attesting to the vaccine's efficacy and safety. Malone says the FDA is using mouse antibody data to make its conclusions. The FDA reportedly cleared the new COVID vaccines to counter the waning effectiveness of the currently available shot. It's, it's difficult to conclude anything other than the FDA is no longer feeling bound by their own rules and regulations. Malone says he doesn't wish to sound alarmist or come across as a conspiracy theorist, but says it's very difficult for anyone experienced in regulatory science to conclude that the FDA is acting in good faith. And they're not constrained in any way by uh, prior uh, um, uh, policy, practices, procedures, uh, international um, agreements. They, they're just kind of seem to be flying by the seat of their pants. Florida Surgeon General Joseph Latipo recently questioned whether COVID vaccines were having the intended result at all, citing studies from Brazil, Australia, and the U.S. That show that over time, these vaccines, these mRNA COVID-19 products, actually increase your chances of contracting COVID-19. Malone also chimed in on the phenomenon called negative effectiveness, a term that means you're more likely to get infected if you take a vaccine. He cites a study on California prisoners. A fraction of prisoners who are highly inoculated, who've been receiving boosters, that are infected is higher than those that have not received these boosters. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis also spoke out on the recommendation, saying, We will not stand by and let the FDA and CDC use Floridians as guinea pigs for mRNA jabs that have not been proven to be safe or effective. NTD reached out to the FDA for comment. We're still waiting to hear back. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. 
A new social media platform prohibits searches about COVID-19. Mark Zuckerberg confirmed that his new threads doesn't allow searches for what he calls sensitive content. Here's more. Mark Zuckerberg's new social media platform, Threads, is facing criticism. That's for reportedly blocking search results for terms related to the pandemic. Users are upset that their search on Threads for content related to COVID and vaccines was met with a blank screen. The Washington Post reports that a pop-up instead redirects users to the website of the CDC. Tech CEO Michael Robertson commented, writing, Zuck treats users like children. He gets to decide what they will see and talk about. Thread's parent company, Meta, confirmed its search policy restrictions in a statement. The search functionality temporarily doesn't provide results for keywords that may show potentially sensitive content. The company says people will be able to search for those keywords in the future, quote, once we are confident in the quality of the results. Not only COVID-related searches are restricted, terms related to sexual content are reportedly being blocked as well. Public health experts say they don't like the policy either. And the director of science communication at Columbia University commented, censorship doesn't work. Misinfo still gets circulated by code names and other platforms. Tech companies should invest in real solutions like moderation or education. Threads saw 100 million new users five days after its launch this summer. However, time spent on the app has since fallen sharply. Coming up, will a stopgap bill prevent a shutdown or will conservative Republicans block it? And New York City wants to fast-track illegal immigrant work authorization. Find out how in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. A Republican senator says a stopgap bill will be needed to avoid a government shutdown. Here's Senator John Thune discussing the current state of affairs. This is a divided government. Um, it's certainly challenging to get anything done, let alone funding the government, which in many cases is uh, is not all that popular, um, you know, especially right now with the American people. Getting the funding could prove to be a challenge. Some House Republicans are vowing to withhold votes for the temporary infusion, known as a continuing resolution that could raise the risk of a shutdown beginning in October. The Democratic-led Senate and Republican-controlled House have until the end of this month to come up with a spending measure to keep federal agencies afloat. House Speaker McCarthy calls on the GOP to avoid a shutdown. He says he's ready to fight efforts to oust him. So, um... I don't walk away from a battle. I knew changing Washington would not be easy. I knew people would fight or try to hold leverage for other things. I'm going to continue to just to focus on what's the right thing to do for the American people. And you know what? If it takes a fight, I'll have a fight. In the Senate, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has announced he will lead a bipartisan congressional delegation to China. The high-profile visit will also include stops in Japan and South Korea. Schumer has maintained a tough stance against China. He's backed legislation to improve U.S. semiconductor competition against China and limit flow of technology to them. Recently, four other U.S. officials have visited China to discuss economic and military matters and de-escalate friction between the two countries. California Governor Gavin Newsom is also headed to China. It comes after a Chinese delegation visited his state last month. Newsom says it's to strengthen the climate partnership. 
During an interview with Politico, Newsom stressed the importance of acting on the climate issue with international partners. He declared it an issue that is threatening humanity and said maintaining a climate relationship with China would impact the future of the planet. Officials from the Chinese province of Hainan, the smallest in geographic terms and the southernmost in China, joined Newsom for a ceremony in August in shared climate goals. When asked if the upcoming trip would include a meeting with Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping, Newsom said he was unsure and laughed off the remark. He said he did coordinate with the White House about the trip. Officials from within the Biden administration also recently traveled to China with agendas related to climate change. Members of Newsom's administration also visited China at the end of August for a five-day trip. The group met with China's climate envoy. Will collaborating with China on climate be fruitful? We hear from the former director of cybersecurity policy at the DOD who questions this move. Colonel John Mills, thank you for joining us. Governor Gavin Newsom says he'll be going to China to discuss climate collaboration next month. Climate envoy John Kerry was there in July. What do you think of the U.S.'s collaboration with China on this issue? Oh, thank you, Chris. It's it's wrongheaded. It doesn't make any sense. And we're dealing with the biggest polluter in the world and groveling to them and to let them uh, pollute more. This is Goshen 2.0. Uh, Whitmer, Whitmer let the battery plant into Michigan. This is w Goshen 2.0 on steroids for California. Now, the Wall Street Journal says the Biden administration correctly identifies China as a consequential geopolitical threat, but says it's dangerous the administration wants to collaborate with Beijing on climate. Does this sort of collaboration pose a national security risk? Well, absolutely. Uh, this is this is the essentially the reason Goshen, the battery maker, was uh, invited, uh, made its way into Michigan. Uh, the battle's ongoing there. Uh, uh, by the, lo the local communities are the ones doing most of the standing up to China. Now, with California, uh, it's really bad because our, our primary container ports are Long Beach and Los Angeles. And because of Gavin Newsom's uh, uh, just totalitarian rulings on electric vehicles and the need to transition trucks, which are necessary to move and distribute the containers from to and from the port, we're seeing a, a significant slowdown uh, in in this, and and it just it, the whole model is just going to collapse because the trucking industry just cannot meet these just um, incredible uh, tough requirements that Gavin Newsom is introducing. It's just going to totally uh, uh, capsize the economy. Now, Colonel, the Chinese regime knows the Biden administration wants a climate deal. Are they going to be able to use this desire to their advantage in these negotiations somehow? Um, of course they will. This, this is in any of their negotiations. Uh, it is China first, and they are always, always looking to negotiate and include their priorities to make sure they get an advantageous economic position. Uh, uh, the Biden team has just shown they are incapable of negotiating for a positive outcome for America or the rest of the world. What might China be looking to get out of these negotiations with the Biden administration over climate? 
Well, this whole cult of electric cars is the vanguard of essentially their green uh, uh, part of their influence operations. Uh, they have gotten a significant, whether it's the uh, uh, Secretary of Energy, uh, Granholm, whether it's Michigan and Senator uh, Governor Whitmer, whether it's California, this obsession with electric vehicles, which I'm all for a clean environment, uh, electric vehicles are ferocious consumers of rare earth metals and other important products. There's nothing green about them. And it just is a lower standard of living for all as we stand in line for hours trying to get our electric vehicles recharged. All right, Colonel John Mills, thank you again. Chris, thank you. An honor to be on your show. A court date is set for the Texas border buoys case. A federal appeals court says oral arguments will begin October 5th. The floating barrier was deployed in the Rio Grande River by Texas Governor Greg Abbott, part of his border security initiative known as Operation Lone Star. Last week, a U.S. Ju district judge ruled that the White House could order Texas to remove the buoys. Just 24 hours later, an appeals court ordered a temporary freeze in the case by Texas' request. In July, the Justice Department sued Texas over the floating barrier. The DOJ argued Abbott installed it without authorization. Abbott said it was within the state's constitutional authority to do so. New York City wants illegal immigrants working as soon as possible. The city's comptroller asked the federal government to speed up the process by waiving application fees for work authorizations. Comptroller Brad Lander spoke to PIX 11 News in New York. He said the surge in immigrants could create a $12 billion budget deficit. His comments come after Mayor Adams said the crisis will destroy New York City. Landers stressed Wednesday that immigrants should not be used as scapegoats for budget shortfalls. He believes a solution is to provide work authorization sooner, allowing immigrants to leave shelters. He wants the federal government to waive the $410 work authorization application fee. Weeks earlier, New York Governor Kathy Hochul urged President Biden to speed up work authorizations for illegal immigrants. She's also considering state-level work permits so they can start working sooner. When we return, the clock is ticking. It's less than 12 hours before the likely United Workers Union strike against Detroit automakers. How are negotiations going? And we'll take a look at the latest models at the auto show in Detroit, plus hear what American brands are planning for artificial intelligence when we return. Thank you for staying with us. The United Auto Workers Labor Union is getting ready to strike in Detroit. Union President Sean Fain said yesterday that offers from the auto companies aren't enough. The big three can afford to immediately give us our fair share. If they choose not to, then they're choosing to strike themselves, and we are not afraid to take action. In an online address to union members, Fain said General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis have raised their initial wage offers, but have rejected some of the union's other demands. The union is threatening to strike if it can't reach an agreement with the companies by the end of today, but the strike would be targeted to a small number of factories per company. It would be the first time in the union's 80-plus year history that it struck all three companies at the same time. Fain said the final decision on which plants to strike won't be made until tonight, 
and will be announced at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Car companies argue they have to make huge investments to develop and build electric vehicles while also building and engineering traditional gas-powered vehicles. They say if labor agreements are too costly, it could push prices higher than foreign competitors who aren't unionized. They also say they've made reasonable offers to the union. Former President Trump urging American auto workers to fight President Biden's electric vehicle mandate in strike negotiations. Trump addressed the United Auto Workers Union on Truth Social as their contract negotiations come down to the wire. He urged auto workers to reject Biden's electric vehicle mandate as their top priority in negotiations. He characterizes the mandate as insane. Last month, the Auto Workers Union president expressed support for Biden's electric vehicle plans. But Trump warns if those policies stand, the U.S. auto industry would risk extinction and automotive jobs would all go to China. The current contract with the big three automakers is due to expire tonight at midnight. The union has yet to officially endorse a 2024 presidential candidate. Michigan is a key swing state in the upcoming 2024 presidential race. Less than 12 hours until UAW contracts expire with automakers. Here with me live is NTD Business's Don Ma. Don, what's the latest with this situation? Sure. Um, so primary bargaining talks uh, have moved uh, to the UAW's office in downtown Detroit, and negotiations are ongoing now as we speak. But it's unfortunate to say, Chris, uh, the two sides are still far apart on their negotiations. So from what we're seeing now, the automakers and the union offered uh, little hope uh, that a deal would be reached to avoid a, a walk-off. UAW President Sean Fain even said that um, they're, they're likely going to have to take action. So what happened was uh, Detroit automakers had offered workers uh, pay raises of as much as uh, 20% over the next four and a half years, which was already higher than the company's first offers, by the way. But it didn't seem like Fain wanted that, and he's, he said uh, the proposal is inadequate. The union is actually asking for 40%. Pay raises. Think about that. Uh, GM and Stellantis said they had uh, received responses to their latest offers, while uh, Ford said uh, today it was waiting for a counteroffer. And so, Don, which auto plants would go on strike here? Right. Uh, Sean Fain actually has a plan of attack uh, if he needs to call a strike. Uh, Fain has a strategy aimed to create confusion at auto plants. Uh, the union president said it's still possible that all uh, 146,000 UAW members could walk out, but the union will begin, begin uh, by striking at a limited number of plants. Uh, the final decision, as you mentioned earlier, will be announced uh, later tonight. Uh, but regardless, uh, slowing or even stopping the production of a few engine or transmission plants at each company could be you know, as effective at stopping operations as a full strike at all plants. Uh, this is according to industry experts. So, you know, doing targeted strikes like this could potentially save resources for, for the union and, and potentially even extend the strike. And Don, how long can the United Auto Workers Union strike for here? Yeah, very good question, Chris. Uh, it's hard to say, but um, here are some numbers for you. Um, striking union members are eligible for $500 a week from the union strike fund. So if all, all union members uh, among the three automakers were to strike at the same time, it could cost uh, the fund more than $70 million a week. 
and, and that could effectively drain their funds. But you know, a strike would actually be unprecedented, uh, as you mentioned earlier. But let me just uh, reiterate, because never before has the UAW tried striking at all three companies to win a contract, and and never has it demanded so much. What could the impact of a strike like this be on uh, the American economy? Yeah, um, it would be costly to the economy, of course. Uh, estimates are putting that a strike against all three companies would be uh, somewhere around $5 billion. Um, that, that, that's a big hit to, to, to the economy. Um, that is if the strike lasts just 10 days. So it's, it's substantial. And a strike would also be costly to the automakers too, uh, because in 2019, uh, a six-week strike by the UAW cost GM almost $3 billion. And let's not forget, this could also push up uh, prices for cars, for some of them at least. Well, good to see you as always, Don. Yeah, likewise, Chris. The North American International Auto Show is in Detroit, is underway. Major car brands are showcasing their latest models and discussing AI undeterred by a potential strike by the United Auto Workers Union. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. This is GM's Cadillac CT5 Luxury Sports Sedan. The 2025 model features a lower, wider front grille and redesigned lights. The car's 237 horsepower four-cylinder engine comes standard. Production starts next spring. GM also unveiled an all-new Acadia crossover SUV under its GMC brand. The vehicle has more space and features a new interior. The new Acadia will be available early next year. Ford's F-Series is getting a facelift next year. The automaker is showcasing the latest version of its F-150. F-Series is America's best-selling truck for 46 years. That's right. And for 41 years, it's been America's best-selling vehicle. The pickup will have a pro-access tailgate. The new feature can swing open like a door for loading and unloading, even while towing a trailer. The updated F-150 will be available next year at a starting price of $35,000. Stellantis is showing off an updated version of the Jeep Gladiator pickup truck. The 2024 version gets a new front grille, power seats, and standard side curtain airbags. The Gladiator goes on sale later this year. Automakers are also taking the rise of artificial intelligence into consideration. GM says it's exploring uses for ChatGPT in collaboration with Microsoft, but being careful not to force it. I do not think a customer should ever really sense that this is the experience is being driven by AI. In fact, I think we sometimes think about the technology and then look for a problem to go use it. A lot has changed in the last year. Not a big surprise to anyone. Um, I think we're all living through it. And a really interesting thing that, that we've seen happening is it's now also about unleashing creativity. So it's, it's augmenting that human capability. Ford says AI offers new opportunities for the industry. The North American International Auto Show runs through Sunday, September 24th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, Russian President Vladimir Putin agrees to visit North Korea while Kim Jong-un's trip is stoking fears of what their partnership could entail. And Ukraine is preparing for more Russian attacks on its key infrastructure, especially its power grid, as winter is looming. That story and more after the break.
Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Trump will not be on trial on October 23rd, the date for two co-defendants who requested a speedy trial in the Georgia RICO case. The DA insisted everyone be tried together, but the judge said that it isn't feasible. More separations could follow. A move to keep former President Trump off the primary ballot won't fly in a key primary state. New Hampshire's Secretary of State weighed in on the issue yesterday. He said the 14th Amendment has nothing to do with the election process. The FDA used mouse antibody data to approve the latest COVID booster shot. It has limited clinical trial data involving humans or the actual COVID-19 virus. Critics say the agency is flouting its own rules and regulations, while one doctor saying it's gone rogue. More than $1 billion worth of a drug called Captagon. The United Arab Emirates says it seized a huge stash of the addictive amphetamine that plagues the Arab Peninsula. It released surveillance videos showing Captagon pills hidden in a shipment of doors and building panels. Dubai police arrested six people in connection with an international cartel involved in smuggling the tablets. Russian President Vladimir Putin is now planning to go to North Korea. Kim Jong-un invited him while on a trip in Russia's Far East. The meeting has stoked U.S. concerns about a revived Russian-North Korea axis. Such a partnership could bolster Russia's military in Ukraine and provide North Korea with sensitive missile technology. The Kremlin says Kim's visit to Russia will continue for several days and adds that Putin recently returned to Moscow from the Far East, where he showed Kim around Russia's most modern space launch facility. The Kremlin described the meeting between the two leaders as timely, useful, and constructive. Ukraine is getting ready for more Russian attacks on its key infrastructure, especially its power grid, as winter approaches. Its air defense crews are banking on newer and better weapon systems to help prevent their country being plunged into darkness again. One of Ukraine's most senior generals said the country's armed forces are bracing for another winter of Russian strikes on key infrastructure. The threat remains acute following reports that Moscow has set up its own facilities to manufacture assault drones based on the Iranian Shahed. We understand that the enemy has not quit his criminal intentions to hit critical infrastructure facilities, damaging Ukraine and its economy. We are taking the required measures to cover it and to bolster the air defense system. Now most of last winter's damage has been repaired after Russian attacks impaired nearly half of Ukraine's energy system. Additionally, Kiev has strengthened its air defenses. This includes the newly donated German-made Gepard system, sleek green turrets mounted onto the chassis of a battle tank. Such anti-aircraft guns are needed. The more, the better. There is a radius of 12 kilometers around every gun, where enemy target can be spotted. In between, we place other mobile fire teams armed with large-caliber machine guns. Gepard systems are also more cost-effective. One round fired by a Gepard flak gun costs about 800 pounds. Last winter, Ukraine was occasionally forced to shoot down Iranian Shahed drones with Western-supplied air defense missiles worth tens of times more. This was done to avert the drones damaging even more costly infrastructure facilities. Concerning the Gepard anti-aircraft gun, it uses regular artillery shells, so the price of such shells is less than the price of a Shahed. 
The military says one Gepard system has shot down five Shaheds since its first use a month ago, a 100% success rate. We moved out. As nearby positions reported, they spotted Shaheds. We also saw them on the radar. We locked the targets, waited for them to fly in the fire range, opened fire and shot them down. A Ukrainian intelligence official said Moscow could start using more Shaheds alongside missiles to confuse Ukrainians' air defenses. He said the attacks on energy infrastructure could begin in late September or early October. The Pentagon is establishing a new team in Ukraine to monitor what's happening with U.S. assistance sent to Kyiv. A growing number of Republicans have called for more oversight into how U.S. aid is being used. According to the Defense Department Inspector General, the monitoring began in late August. More personnel are expected to arrive by the end of September. The positions are based at the U.S. Embassy in Kyiv. It marks the first time the DOD Inspector General will have personnel based in Ukraine since Russia's invasion in February 2022. U.S. aid currently totals nearly $44 billion, and the Biden administration recently asked Congress for $24 billion more in assistance to Kyiv. The president and other officials have vowed to continue aid for as long as it takes. Russia's war on Ukraine is bringing the world wars back into focus. Some see history repeating itself amid trenches, artillery, mines, and other conventional warfare. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on a hallowed ground in Western Europe. Countless headstones and memorials dot Western Belgium and Northern France. The symbols rest along the former battle lines of World War I a conflict that killed some 10 million soldiers. That's the idea of commemorating every individual lost life in that war. And that's the, the, the strength of this dossier. That's what we want to do. We want to point out that war is losing or makes you lose individual lives, persons who has families, who has, has a, a social life. At the Time Cot Cemetery, 12,000 Commonwealth soldiers are buried in rows. Now the site is more relevant than ever. I think it's so easy to make that link and we get so many people coming through here and, and making that link with Ukraine just because it is so relevant at the moment and you're seeing, you know, the same situation happening with these two sides fighting and, you know, endlessly. Casualties in Ukraine are also being counted by the tens of thousands, but the total number of dead, missing and POWs has been difficult to determine. Belgium and France are looking for UNESCO World Heritage status for this site. That way the world can know what happened here. It is here that we also started with a new kind of remembrance, a new kind of looking back on those conflicts. And that's actually something that we wanted to, to, to spread around the world. That is the idea of the fact that you have individual lives lost and you have to remember every individual life. The war finally ended in 1918. Millions were killed and millions were missing in action, but they're not forgotten. You should know that every evening, every evening of every single day since the 1920s, there has been a couple of people blowing a horn outside the Manning Gate. That's every evening, almost a hundred years that they've been doing that. UNESCO turned down the nation's request for recognition in 2018, saying it lacked clarity. The group is also hesitant to set a precedent for memorials related to wars. A decision on the new request is expected mid-September. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up off the coast of Maine, the Atlantic puffin population rebounds. The fish they feed on are abundant this year, allowing the birds to thrive. 
And visitors to Mount Fiji in Japan are pushing facilities to the brink and leaving mounds of trash on the mountainside. Officials are now considering drastic measures. More soon here on NTD News. Welcome back. Off the coast of Maine, Atlantic puffins had their second consecutive rebound year for fledgling chicks. The success comes as scientists argue that warming waters off New England jeopardize the birds and their ecosystem. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the population's recent recovery. Atlantic puffins have been feasting on sand lance. The fish are abundant this year, allowing the birds to thrive. It's been a relatively good year for puffins. Uh, the weather has been a little bit of a challenge, very rainy, cold, wet, uh, but puffins nesting underground aren't as vulnerable or susceptible to problems that way. The Audubon Society is celebrating its 50th anniversary of tending to Maine's puffin colonies. The organization has restored the population from just a few dozen pairs to as many as 3,000 birds. And that work was successful, took a long time to achieve success, um, but through perseverance and hard work, uh, puffins were restored to two colonies here in Maine and have colonized others since then. Two years ago, the colony suffered one of their worst years for reproduction in decades. Only about a quarter of the birds were able to raise chicks that summer due to a lack of fish. But today, their population is healthy. Our populations of puffins here in Maine are stable. Um, perhaps even continuing to grow at a small rate. Defying environmental trends. But for the creatures known as the clowns of the sea or sea parrots, their conservationist friends hope this trend continues. Swarms of visitors on Mount Fuji are pushing facilities to the brink, leaving mounds of trash on the mountainside and toilets out of order. Officials are now considering drastic measures to preserve the sacred mountain and UNESCO World Heritage Site. Long lines, overflowing bins, and broken toilets. Scenes you might expect at a county fair, but maybe not Mount Fuji, the iconic Japanese mountain, a sacred source of pride in the country for its symmetrical form. However, a recent surge in inbound tourists after Japan reopened its borders has led to extreme levels of pollution and other strains on the country's tallest peak, authorities say. Many people are visiting Mount Fuji and we appreciate that, but that is also leading to over-tourism with garbage and problems with the toilets resulting from the large number of people. We're now in a critical situation. Mount Fuji was listed as a UNESCO World Heritage Site a decade ago, which only boosted its popularity. Though that distinction came with conditions that Japan reduce overcrowding and environmental harm from visitors, overcrowding has only grown worse. The largest base station on the mountain saw 4 million visitors this summer, a 50% jump from 2013. Social media has been rife with posts about soiled bathrooms and mounds of litter on the hiking paths. Authorities say they are considering drastic measures to reduce the volume. The biggest cause of over-tourism on Mount Fuji is that the fifth station up the mountain can be easily reached by car. That means we need to control that access. However, since the Fuji Subaru Line toll road is also a prefectural road in Yamanashi, it would be difficult to regulate it. So we want to make a drastic change to replace the road with a mountain railway. Another strain has been the trend of what's called bullet climbing, where climbers attempt to scale Fuji for sunrise 
and descend the same day, leading to a spike in rescue requests up 50 percent from 2022, with over 60 so far this year, and a quarter of which have come from non-Japanese tourists. Unless they find ways to manage the crowds, Izumi worries the world will turn its back on Fuji entirely. If things continue as they are, Mount Fuji will be abandoned by people around the world in the near future. If we compare it to world standard tourist destinations, Mount Fuji will be near the bottom. I have a strong sense of crisis right now. Delta is overhauling its Sky Miles loyalty program. The airline says the change will provide more simplified ways for Sky Miles members to earn and track status. Medallion qualifying miles and medallion qualifying segments are being phased out. Starting in January, medallion qualifying dollars, or MQDs, will be the only metric that counts when it comes to Delta customers earning the elite frequent flyer status. But SkyMiles members will earn MQDs at the same rate for more than just flights. Car rentals, hotels, and vacations booked directly through Delta will count. Also, some Delta credit card spending will be MQD eligible. Delta will give SkyMiles members the chance to convert qualifying miles into either MQDs or redeemable miles. With the changes, Delta is transforming some policies for Sky Club access. The new policies begin in 2024 to earn status for 2025 flying. A dream come true. A son gets to fly as first officer on his dad's final flight as a pilot for Southwest Airlines. In doing so, the father-son team recreated a decades-old photo. As a toddler, Reuben Flowers posed with his pilot dad in an airplane. Now, nearly 30 years later, he's posing with his pilot dad again as the first officer on his father's flight. Flowers says it was his dream to fly with his dad, and the timing was perfect. Flowers started his career just as his father, also named Reuben Flowers, was nearing retirement as a captain. Thanks to a brief overlap, father and son were able to fly together. And recreate the iconic photo on a flight from Omaha, Nebraska to Chicago in the spring. The Elder Flowers says seeing his son next to him for his last landing was a dream come true. Also on board that retirement flight, Reuben Sr.'s brother and his cousin, who also work for Southwest. Flowers says there are seven pilots total in the family. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.